Welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. You're tuning in to our very first of our off-chain series of podcasts, where we're going to be rounding up the past week of news in the Web3 and wider crypto world. And it's with great pleasure that I get to say welcome back to my wonderful co-host, Austin. We have been separated like unhappy siblings for far too long. And now we are back united again together just for this podcast and ongoing series, which is great. So what's been, what's been happening in your world, Austin? Well, Matt, it's so great to be back and, and hear the lovely tone of your British voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, things are great. Um, a lot has changed since the last time that, that we were speaking on the podcast together. Um, I am no longer at Google. I'm at Square leading a design team that's responsible for our e-commerce product. And it's an awesome sort of intersection of all of the things that uh, I'm passionate about, <clears throat> open web, small businesses, you name it. Um, and I moved to Texas. So I'm now based in Austin, Texas. I'm officially Austin from Austin. And I'm loving <laughs> it here, man. Just a, it's just great branding. Uh, if you don't yeah. own that domain name yet, you need to immediately get that domain name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to book it before this goes live. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so much has changed in uh, in the time, just even the very short time that we've kind of uh, had our our hiatus on, on recording together. But yeah, it must be super interesting working at uh, Block and just being able to be exposed, I guess, to a lot more of an intersection between what's happening in the web two and web three world right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunities to talk about the awesome web three and crypto investments that are coming out of our corner of the world. Um, but Matt, you've had some exciting developments on your end too. I want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, I, I posted our tweet yesterday um, after seven pretty amazing years uh, being a VP over at HubSpot, I figured now was the right time to kind of make a bit of a change and move on and go kind of all in on Web3. I'm uh, I'm joining Decentral Games. It's a GameFi uh, project that we've covered actually on the podcast about a few months ago. I'm going to be joining a CMO and you know what? I'm just, I'm really excited. I'm excited about the project. I love the team. And more than anything, I'm just looking forward to just diving in to GameFi, Web3, and yeah, trying to figure out problems that no one's even had to figure out before. It's fun. It's going to be a wild ride. Yeah, I love it. You continue to up the ante and reinvent yourself. And I just think that this is such an awesome move. I'm happy for you, man. Um, and looking forward to to talking about that over the course of our next few episodes here. I know you've had some awesome guests on the podcast in that realm as well. So enjoyed listening to those. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of fun stories. Uh, I'm sure we could dig into that. And on the note of stories, why don't we dig into our first story of the day? This is Stripe's announcement that they've partnered with Twitter to launch crypto payments, or at least crypto payouts via their platform. And what I what I think is interesting about this is, so at the high level, what Stripe have done is <clears throat> for any um, income that individual creators are making on Twitter that goes straight through into their, their Stripe, 
they can be paid out in USDC. And it, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to be paid out in a lot of different types of cryptocurrencies at this point. I imagine it's probably because USDC is the most regulation safe at the moment, I guess. Um, but what I thought was interesting in amongst all of this is kind of a few days later, and this is obviously very much unrelated, uh, Elon has say, bought Twitter and, you know, the, the, the whole of Twitter is completely divided, I think, and is either freaking out or is absolutely delighted. But in amongst all of that, I saw Dogecoin jump like 30% on the announcement while the rest of the markets are in a complete bloodbath. And it does make you wonder if there's going to be more and more of an integration with crypto for for Twitter in particular. And I think we're almost certainly going to see more in that realm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what your take is on the, the whole Elon thing and the richest man in the world buying Twitter. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Um, but I think there's definitely going to be more happening in the intersection between Web3 and Twitter with, with this deal for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, obviously there's a lot of optimism from Elon's end um, in that realm. I'm, I'm super excited about the Stripe partnership with Twitter. I think it's going to unlock a lot of potential and also just, you know, bring, um, br- bring us more into the mainstream. Mm. But yeah, specifically with, with Elon and Twitter, I mean, it is hilarious. <laughs> You're right. Everybody's divided over this. I would say, you know, um, I'm cautiously optimistic and I, I, provide equal weight to cautious and optimistic um, when I say that. Uh, but, you know, I, I was, uh, I, I really was encouraged by what Jack Dorsey had to say about this um, when he said, you know, I feel that Elon is the single singular solution that I trust. Um, and it, really the, the sentiment that I pulled from him here is like, it's not ideal to have Twitter be controlled by any single person or entity, but if that has to be the case and it can't be like decentralized, um, then Elon is the one person that he would trust the most. And I, I, I could see why he would feel that way. Um, yeah. You know, I think that the the push for free speech is very compelling. Um, we'll see how that plays out. I also like so that's the optimistic side of me. I, and also, you know, of course, all of the innovation that Elon has brought to uh, sustainable technology, EVs, rocket science, whatever, um, you know, in addition to to crypto and markets, right? I think it would be, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out with Twitter. But, you know, on the flip side, he has like very tight ties to, um, you know, regimes and governments that are sort of antithetical to free speech, like with his huge yeah. dealings in China and with the CCP. So um, lately, Twitter has been d- doing a fantastic job of labeling state media and, uh, you know, specifically in this case, Chinese state media and state actors. And it makes me wonder, like, you know, would the move to free speech also uh, potentially jeopardize some of that? I don't really know. Um, so we'll have to see how this plays out. But I think that uh, it is an interesting world that we're living in, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an understatement, and I, and, I, and I agree. You know, I am probably leaning more on the cautious side of cautiously optimistic. <laughs> uh, I'm I, I'm yet to be overly convinced that Elon's uh, ideas around 
free speech are truly going to play out in the way that many people think they they are. And I think some of the concerns around his ties to the regimes that you've mentioned are very much um, a concern when it when it comes to that, especially the complete juxtaposition to freedom of speech and censorship that, that those regimes often hold. But I I don't know. I think there's my my main thing in all of this is undoubtedly if you just look at this from shareholder value, I think regardless of what you think about Elon, whether you love him or hate him, and I think that's typically the uh, the two sides that people are on here. There's very few in the middle. He he is probably the greatest entrepreneur or most more success most successful entrepreneur of our lifetime at least, and as a result. You know, the the Twitter board and leadership team haven't exactly shown that they can deliver a huge amount of value to shareholders. I think something like seven out of the 10 past years, they've, they've made a substantial loss. They've really struggled to create shareholder value in the form of like growth and even market cap and share price. If there's someone that can do something on that side, it's Elon. And I, I appreciate this going to be taken private, but... Who knows? I, I I think you could also argue that Twitter is a bit of a shit show in in terms of the uh, the kinds of conversations that happen in it anyway. So can it get much more worse? We will soon find out, I guess. But yeah, I'm sure we're going to all be tracking that really, really closely. Uh, Austin, you got a you got another story here that's shifting gears a little bit that I thought was really interesting coming out of Fidelity, right? Yeah, so Fidelity is now offering Bitcoin as a 401k investment option, or at least they're moving into that space. Now, this is really interesting because Fidelity is actually the largest retirement plan provider in the U.S., and they will be the first to allow cryptocurrencies in 401k accounts. They're going to start with Bitcoin. It should be available by mid-2022. And when that happens, it's going to be rolled out to 23,000 employers that use Fidelity to run their retirement accounts. So um, it's an interesting move for crypto and Bitcoin, of course, you know, being the first, again, toward the mainstream. I feel like we've been saying this for years. Um, but, yeah. you know, these these uh, these things happen on long and wide winding timescales, right? Um, but interestingly, the the amount that participants, or in this case, employees can put into Bitcoin is actually going to be determined by the employers. It's likely going to be a maximum of 20% from what Fidelity is saying. Um, it sounds to me like this is a little bit of an attempt to, to keep things diversified and to de-risk. Uh, you know, separately, we've, we've seen back in March that the U.S. Department of Labor was sharing concerns around the volatility of cryptocurrencies it's a little bit of a tone deaf thing to say when we're facing double digit inflation with the USD. Like, hey, you know, we're looking a little your your currency is looking a little volatile. Maybe you should fix that before you talk about crypto. Um, but yeah, nevertheless, I, I think that this is an, uh, a really interesting move to see another, you know, titan of um, the financial industry, uh, in this case, moving 401ks into the crypto space. And Fidelity have been... Uh, really a long time champion of crypto. I I remember, I think we may have even mentioned this in the podcast all the way back in 2018, maybe around some of the stuff that Fidelity had been doing. I've seen a bunch of the, the team from their crypto division do 
uh, a number of talks back in 2017. So on one hand, this isn't overly surprising that Fidelity are the ones that are doing this, but I, I am honestly quite surprised to see Bitcoin in 401k uh, investment options. I think it's a great bit of news for Bitcoin as a whole. And, you know, I am, of course, a huge supporter of Bitcoin. I am also a supporter of like taking this a little bit slowly and um, kind of maybe putting a, a cap on initially to see how it goes. But yeah, the more institutional support and investment that's happening into into Bitcoin and layering this into what is probably arguably like the the most like traditional asset class in the financials uh like traditional financial sector in 401ks it's it's got to be a good thing um so yeah really really interesting to see it yeah, yeah. I, I think the prospect of, you know, you think about it, like folks that have never purchased cryptocurrency, don't have a wallet, aren't going to ever sign up for an exchange now through a more traditional means could have a stake in cryptocurrency. Um, it's interesting, right? But Matt, you've got an interesting optimism story coming from uh, your side of the world. Yeah, yeah. So optimism's one of the uh, one of the most hyped layer two networks over the the past year or so, and I think one of the things that has been um, much anticipated is will it, won't it, launch a token? Will there, won't there be an airdrop? Uh, how is this all going to start functioning? And when are we going to really start to see optimism take off as a major scaling solution for Ethereum? And finally, at long last, Optimism has uh, announced that it's launching a token, the OP token, and there is going to be an airdrop. In fact, they mentioned a season of airdrops, so there's going to be a whole host of them. And what I I really like about the way Optimism has went about this airdrop is they've uh, they've really focused the airdrop on individuals that are really contributing to the the larger ecosystem around um, uh, Ethereum and layer ones, and also like the the wider layer two uh, ecosystem. So if you have actively participated in DAO governance across the Ethereum ecosystem, that um, ensures that you are eligible for at least a portion of the the airdrop. If you've been uh, if you made a transaction on Optimism prior to June 23rd, uh, you also will be, uh, that's 2021, you will also be um, eligible for an additional uh, airdrop. And there's just like a whole other things like repeat users, if you've made an on-chain donation through Gitcoin. This really is rewarding people that have participated positively. And albeit I... Uh, I have absolutely tried to game this potential airdrop by just making a few transactions over the past year on Optimism and hoping that I get a bunch of tokens and that didn't quite play out. Luckily, I'm a pretty active uh, DAO governance voter, so uh, have, have at least got some tokens coming my way when the airdrop launches. But <clears throat> but I really like how they've done this. They're, they're not just throwing this to people with the most cash. They're actually putting it out to a an 
ecosystem of people that are willing to contribute positively to it. Um, but th- there's one other aspect to this that I thought was really quite novel um, and particularly interesting to, to me, which is the token to one side, what, they're, what the, the main announcement here is that they're launching a governance system around the, the Optimism blockchain. And it's called the Optimism Collective. And kind of, it, it's split in uh, in two different portions. So you've got the the token house and the citizens house. Kind of is is giving me some parallels here with the 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 UK parliamentary setup, but probably going to operate a little bit more efficiently than that one. Um, but the the, uh, the the cool thing here is on the the token house side of this. This will be really focused in on making kind of uh, decisions around like protocol upgrades. There'll be like the the deployment of treasury funds and giving incentives out to projects. And all of the governance will be managed by token holders. So OP token holders can vote on things, but also they can trade OP tokens, new people can come in, etc. Then they have what they're calling the second part, which is the citizen's house. And this is kind of like more around public good funding. And here's what I found really interesting. So you won't be able to use OP tokens to vote in governance. Instead, the the way that this will be governed is what they're calling soul-bound NFTs, non-transferable NFTs. So you, you... I'm not quite sure on the exact ways that you're going to acquire this, but maybe earning these NFTs. And then once you have them or they're delivered to to individuals through other means, but they cannot just be transferred to another individual that then can participate in, in governments. So it's, it's, it's kind of a very permanent structure. And then you have this intersect of these two houses where <clears throat> decisions around grants and things like that can be made in tandem with like the citizen's house uh, participants and the token house. But I, I just really, I'm interested in this model because governance is just such a complex and ever-evolving kind of topic. Um, and yeah, there's been a huge amount of TVL that's been piling into optimism. I think as of right now recording, uh, 226,000 ETHs, around $655 million. So Lots of really innovative stuff coming out there. And I imagine there is going to be a huge amount of hype going and surrounding optimism, which everyone's really, really interested in. Yeah, it's fantastic to uh, watch these these things evolve and, and to see the mimicry of, you know, analog, the analog world in the digital world um, in terms of governance. Coinbase, on the other hand, is uh, announcing never a heard of beta. Them. I've never, I've never yeah. heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Who are they? Um, they're announcing a beta of an NFT marketplace. Uh, they've been talking about this for a little while now. Um, and and basically what they're going to be doing is uh, over the, the, the next couple coming weeks, it sounds like uh, they are going to make this NFT marketplace available to everyone over the age of 18. So, um, we think about how monumental right. Coinbase has been in the the crypto trading space um, mm-hmm. as an exchange, and how they, in some ways, democratized uh, exchanging of crypto uh, through their incredible UX work and simplification of the process. 
Um, so I think moving into the NFT space is, uh, it's something that I really want to keep an eye on here with, uh, the impact that they're going to have. Uh, they've got more than eight, uh, almost eight and a half million email addresses <laughs> that were on the wait list for this. So obviously there's a lot of interest in, uh, what they're doing here and, and, you know, to sort of contextualize that. Coinbase is reporting that they have more than 89 million verified users that are trading over $547 billion in quarterly mm. volume. So eight and a half million email addresses is significant for this wait list, but it's nowhere near the level of market that they've proven they have the capacity to tap in the past. I think an interesting aspect of this is that there will also be a sort of social community mechanism that will allow users on the NFT marketplace to follow the profiles of, of creators and folks that are buying and trading NFTs. They can comment on artwork and even maintain a personalized feed to discover new NFTs based on their engagement with other NFTs and their previous purchases. Um, so this sounds like a, a, a real proper usable NFT marketplace that they're aiming to build. And going forward, they're looking to decentralize some of these features like user comments in mm. the future. Um, I don't I, I don't totally know what that would look like or what the implications of that would be, but I, I think it's interesting to see how Coinbase is taking a shot at at developing what would presumably be the most accessible NFT marketplace so far. Almost certainly, right? Like, you know, I think Coinbase Coinbase gets a lot of criticisms for just simply being a centralized organization. And I think a lot of the criticism that they receive, like, is somewhat unfair. I think a, a fair amount of it is very reasonable criticism. But you, it, there is an undeniable contribution that Coinbase has made to the Web3 and crypto space of onboarding huge swathes of of users and if there is anyone that can go head to head with OpenSea, it's almost certainly coinbase uh, even even if they don't win that fight which i personally think they will I, I think they absolutely will i'm actually surprised they haven't even bought OpenSea by now but that to one side this will be a net positive for consumers because this is just going to force greater innovation, more features. OpenSea are going to have a fire under their ass to implement some of the features that people want. I do think that it's important that there is better UX, better um, kind of custody involved. And, you know, there's so many scams in the NFT space right now that regular everyday people on the retail side are the the main targets of i <clears throat> i think this should really spark a lot of solutions to that problem and especially with coinbase being a public company they're going to be held to higher standards so they're going to have to build something that is as regulatorily compliant as possible and puts the users first but we'll see how this this plays out it feels like every major exchange is trying to get in on the the act. I know we were we were talking about the Binance, uh, the Binance NFT marketplace before this call. I think FTX have launched one. Every day I see like a new NFT marketplace being built. Everyone wants a slice of the pie. It's uh, it's it's going to be. I, I'm excited to see it. It looked 
interesting to, to me when I checked it out uh, to begin with. But um, yeah, we'll see how it evolves over time. I think especially the social piece will be will be very interesting to follow. Yeah, agreed. I mean, certainly if I'm Coinbase, like I'd be really stoked about the ecosystem play that they're looking at here. You know, I, I think about my parents. Um, they were able to sign up for Coinbase on their own and purchase some crypto. Uh, they they would not quite be able to figure out how to sign up for OpenSea. Um, yeah. it's, it's just not quite as intuitive for them. But now they're already on Coinbase. They're already using it. They're familiar with the UI and the the paradigms of the app it's on their phone um and if an nft marketplace just happens to pop up on there um the adoption barrier is going to be much lower uh than than even uh, adopting coinbase from uh from new right so it's certainly interesting in that respect at the same time you know binance has, uh, you mentioned, like everybody seems to be wanting to get into NFT marketplaces. Binance launched one in June of 2021, and their sort of main value prop was minimizing transaction costs. And so it's interesting to me that Coinbase is saying that at least for the start, there will be no transaction fees um, Mm -hmm. when the marketplace is in beta. And they're also going to exchange, or they're going to um, reduce gas fees for Ether transactions. so yeah. certainly there there is uh you know an element of competition here. We mentioned OpenSea. Um yeah, that's the largest NFT marketplace and they're doing 130 million dollars in 24-hour volume um without the ecosystem play that Coinbase has. So very interesting to see where this goes. But Matt, one thing that I have to bring up that I want your opinion on, <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, in terms of the future of NFTs, everybody's talking about Jack Dorsey's Genesis tweet and how it was purchased in 2021 for 2.9 million dollars. Yeah, I really and regret. I really regret that purchase. You know, it's one of those <laughs> that I look back on now and I just think, could I, could I have bought more Lambos with with that? That's that's my big regret. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've I've heard that you've won out on 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 several other ventures, so I think you'll be all right there. But currently, you're you're facing a bid of roughly twenty nine thousand dollars for your your Jack Dorsey Genesis tweet NFT. Should we read into this, or is this is this just how the market works? Yeah, I you know, it's funny. You know, the the real uh, the the actual owner of Jack Dorsey's Genesis tweet that that did I. For anyone listening, I did not purchase Jack Dorsey's Genesis tweet for 2.9 million. But the actual owner, he uh, <clears throat> when the the bids were coming through much, much lower than what he had initially planned. I think the first one for quite a while was like $250 or something. And he he said he didn't want to sell it to someone that couldn't value it high enough anyway, because this is the I can't remember the exact quote, but he called it something like the Mona Lisa. Uh, like the digital Mona Lisa. And, you know, I think when when that initial purchase was made of uh, Jack's Genesis tweet for $2.9 million, I, uh, I, I thought that's either going to go one of two ways and there's not going to be anything in the middle. It's either going to go the way that this is currently going or it's just going to be like someone else bids like something crazy. And I think all of this is about owning a piece of history and how much you uh how much you value that as a piece of history and i think you know it feels to me 
where the risk of like this being a valuable piece of history is much more in the links to Twitter than Jack Dorsey or anything in, in itself. And I, I just can't see the, the pull for that. I, I definitely wouldn't read into it too much in terms of NFTs. And I think uh, <clears throat> true native Web3 projects that have become kind of staples of history in the very short history of Web3. We think about things like CryptoKitties that we covered many years ago when they first launched through to now CryptoPunks and then being acquired by Yuga Labs and merging in with Board Ape Yacht Club. And now I think like a Board Ape entry price is something like a quarter of a million, right? So I, I do think that these high valuations are going to persist. And I think that people are going to intrinsically value these NFTs astronomically high, but I think it is going to be for a very, very small few. I I draw parallels to the ICO boom of 2017, where there are a very small few of those projects that are still valued incredibly high. And 99% of them are either valued incredibly low or pretty much zero. And I think that's where we're going to be with some of these more, what I would call kind of like profile picture-based NFTs that don't have any explicit utility, but are more about owning a piece of history in the same sense of art. So that's 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 my take uh, on this. But I wouldn't read into the, the Genesis tweet uh, NFT not going so much. However, it is an incredibly hilarious story, I will say. <laughs> well, I totally agree with you, and I'm relieved to hear that you're not going to have to sell the house over your $2.87 million Jack Dorsey Genesis tweet loss. <laughs> Down- downgrading the Lambos for a Toyota, I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> is, is what's happening. <laughs> well, listen, we're at time now. I think that just wrapping things up for uh, for this episode, we're going to be doing this weekly Every Thursday, you're going to get a wrap-up of the past week's news in the world of Web3. And of course, you can tweet us, share things that you think are interesting, want mine or Austin's take on. We are still going to be publishing all of the ongoing like interview episodes that we push out each Monday. So you'll have all of that goodness alongside this. Um, something else for everyone to look out forward to, I think on Sunday we have, or Saturday, should I say, April 30th, we have the Board Ape Yacht Club Metaverse land sale going live, uh, other side, which, you know, love them or hate them. I think this is going to be an enormous event and no doubt we'll be talking about this in next week's episode. But Austin, it's been a pleasure and I'll see you next week for the next weekly roundup of Off Chain. Talk to you next week, Matt. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.